everyone. Welcome to the Let It Be podcast. I'm your host, Becky Ziegenfuss. Each show, I share conversations around purpose and promise. We talk about friendships, family, faith, all the favorite things. Make this your time. So whatever you have to do, let it go, let it wait, let it be. Every once in a while, I have a conversation with a friend that is so important, I refuse to let it end early. And when that happens, we turn these conversations into two episodes. Every voice is important. My friend Charlie has a voice that can speak into current conversations in ways that others can't. And so I didn't want you to miss out on everything that he had to say. So this week is part one of a conversation that is relevant to what is happening in our city, in our country, and in our world. Enjoy part one and make sure to tune in next week for part two of my conversation with my friend, Charlie Hines. This is episode nine of the Let It Be podcast, and I can't believe that we have been going and having conversations for over two months now. I'm really excited to share my special friend today. He has truly become a friend of our families. His family has become a friend of ours, and we have learned so much from him, not just because he is the piano and guitar teacher for our children, but because his voice has, in most recent months, really mattered to so many conversations that our world, our nation, our churches are having. So I am excited to introduce you to my friend, Charlie Hines. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks for being on the Let It Be podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I have loved getting to know you and your family, first of all, because every time that we walk into your home for lessons, there is just this joy that exudes <laughs> right outside of your door. Cool. And listeners, if you could see Charlie right now, he is always smiling, always beaming, and always this bright, bright light. But the first time I would say that I heard some heaviness in your voice was a YouTube conversation that you had posted where it was just your thoughts. And it was right after the weekend, I believe, that the George Floyd incident had taken place. And Andy and I, my husband Andy and I, were driving to or from some family that we had visited that weekend. And we listened to it. And like I said, it was the first time I didn't hear this bright, joyful, (laughs) booming voice come from you. So... Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? You do a million different things. So give us kind of all the caps that you wear. And then you can kind of roll into what that YouTube conversation was all about to give us some perspective. Yeah, sure. My my background was I went to school for music. Um, I loved music. Uh, it, It was actually a hip injury that forced me kind of into music because I had to leave school and go to the hospital. So somebody mm. came to, to school, uh, to come, came to the hospital and taught me guitar. And I was like, well, this is way better than soccer since I can't play it anymore. So let's go be a rock star. Wow. And, uh, and so doing that was, was one thing. But then um, I went to school for music. I went to Howard University and studied uh, classical guitar. And I studied jazz two years at a community college before that with a, with a pretty well-known DC jazz musician. And... Uh, in school, they the only 
options they had was like music therapy and music education. And I did not want to teach music. <laughs> Fast forward to today, I have, <laughs> you know, had 31 students and then teach at a co-op too. But I think, um, you know, the road that I took between where I started and where I am now mm-hmm. took me through uh, 17 years of corporate business with Luxottica Retail and then um, a mega church experience, a church, uh, River Tree. Uh, River Tree Church was the first church that hired me out of the corporate world as a worship pastor. Mm-hmm. And then 10 months later, I replaced uh, my friend Robbie at the, the Cincinnati Vineyard. Mm-hmm. And that had, you know, that was an experience all on its own because I felt like the corporate world kind of prepared me to manage the bigness of a mega church mm-hmm. and the politics of a mega church. But um, I left there pretty, pretty abruptly and found myself unemployed. No, you know, I had prospects, you know, I got some really good offers from some great churches that knew me or got to know me, mm-hmm. but I just felt like Cincinnati was where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I tried to tell my, try to explain that to my wife. And then it hit me. I said, I don't think we're supposed to leave. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just think we're not supposed to leave. And she's like, well, what are we, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I guess I'll get a job. <laughs> but the, one of the things that I, one of the stories I like to tell is just, um, growing up as a military brat, we moved all over like every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to the mega church, the, people would always say, are you called to this? Mm-hmm. You know, are you called to, to this? Were you called to Cincinnati? I'm like, I don't even have the, I didn't even have the knowledge or the context to process the question because in the army, you're just sent and right. stationed. That's interesting. <laughs> and so I'd never, we never got to pick where we, where we wanted to live. Right. And then with Luxottica, I took any job that helped me move up the corporate ladder until, you know, I got to a regional level and was managing hundreds of stores, merchandise. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the first time, I remember saying to my wife, I think we're supposed to stay in Cincinnati. And then my heart just opened up. It's like, this is what it feels like to be called. And I was like... Uh, first time in my life I've gotten to pick where I wanted because with Luxottica, you just took the promotions and moved and, you know, tried to be flexible. And, and so, yeah, my decision leaving the vineyard and staying here was the first time in my life. I understood the question, were you called to Mm. to Cincinnati, you know? And that's a scary place to be when you feel like you're called, but yet you don't know what you're called Called to. to, Right. (laughs) It's like when when your parents, Charles, Chris, oh man, I'm either something good happened, I made the D's list, or I didn't make my bed. (laughs) With a military father, I'm sure that was a regular way that you started up. He would just walk in in the morning, grab the sheets off, with one hand at the edge of the bed, and he'd just yank them all. If you didn't get up, when he would call you, hey, breakfast is ready. And if you tried to sleep in, he's like, get up. Get up. That was it. I love that the first time that we came to your house for lessons, because I mentioned that you teach, what all do you teach? You teach guitar? Yeah, worship developing, uh, worship development, uh, songwriting, uh, keyboards. I say piano, but it's it's beginner piano, and I clarify that because I know enough to teach a bunch of little kids how to play the notes in in the Red Thompson book or in a beginner piano book. 
but I don't, I mean, I just don't sight read very well, but some of my students read way better than I do. (laughs) Well, and you approach it from, at least from my perspective, you approach it from almost like a worship leading perspective, which is why we kind of sought you out because our kids had taken a lot of the traditional lessons. Yeah. And I have great friends that are just brilliant pianists and they can sight read Rachmaninoff and Bach and Tchaikovsky and you're just like whoa you know I wish they would come to my house and play my piano Mm -hmm. for me so I could hear it while you have dinner yeah well (laughs) so I could hear what it really sounds like but I think a lot of what you know a lot of modern music it's it's not sight reading a lot of guitar players were not reading chord charts Mm -hmm. we're reading national number charts right in the studio which are roman numerals and I had a student say Mr. Hines I'm confused I don't, I never learned Roman numerals. I'm like, okay, let's, let's go. And so it's fun being in that environment because I get to kind of think out of the box. I'm like, how do I teach this kid the Roman numerals like in five minutes? So I pulled up all the Super Bowl logos for the last 55 years. I'm like, there you go. (laughs) Let's study Super Bowl logos. But yeah, I teach that. And then, you know, I I mentioned Mm -hmm. songwriting worship development is another one. Um, I work with uh, Blue Ash Community Church. Mm-hmm. Um, I coach their worship leader, but also we evaluate their service. And then we, and that's just a lot of fun. Like having, you know, he like this week's lesson, he had developed a, um, a worship application mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and also like a, a roles kind of thing, but he didn't have a vision mission or, or values on there. I said, you haven't told me what your heart for worship is. I said, if you do that, well, I'm going to try my best to, to, to align with all of these things in the request. But if you don't, then this is just a job application and yeah. I can get paid to play in a bar on Fridays <laughs> and Saturdays, you know? I We were just having dinner with the pastor and his wife there. And Andy? yeah. Oh uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Just last That's night. That's right. You're really good friends with them. I forgot. Well, I had just met his <clears> wife <throat> last night, but and my Andy and Andy Rainey, yes, are good friends. But it's funny because I happened to mention that we were interviewing today and they told the same story. And I was like, everybody in Cincinnati knows Charlie Hines. <laughs> I, I'm quite convinced that you That's are scary. <laughs> a <very> well connected <laughs> person. And you've done a lot of other things too. I know you've done voice recordings for books. You, yeah. if anyone recognizes the UC commercials and this deep <laughs> voice for the UC You're gonna commercials, make me do it, aren't you? I am doing it. We are the tenacious in science lives hope. That's Charlie. He's right here in my studio. Um, yeah, that they were kind. They, it, it's it's been fun because our kids have gotten to hear your voice and like, oh, there's yeah. Charlie every time that the, yeah. the commercial comes on the radio. But I want to go back to that conversation that I listened to because, like yeah, I sure. said, it's very relevant to what is going on um, today. And as as we talked earlier, it's been a conversation that for years I think we as a nation we as the church have tiptoed around and no one's tiptoeing anymore. It's, it's here. Right. So give us some of your background and your experience. Well, you saw an interview that took place at the end of, of a night of worship. Mm -hmm. So when COVID happened, the lockdown happened in Ohio, my, my youngest Abby, which, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, she sometimes struggles with anxiety and, and it was just hard because we didn't know anything. We didn't know the rules. Can we go outside? Can, you know? Right. And so I said, come on, Abby, let's watch a movie. So we watched World War Z. 
mm-hmm. with Brad Pitt. Yeah. And then we went outside to like wash a car and she's looking around and I'm like, it's, <laughs> we don't have anything to worry about. Maybe We're, she was looking for Brad. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> but it was one of those moments where, all right, I need to do something tonight to, um, to calm her down. Mm-hmm. And so m- my wife got home and I said, Hey, would you help me do a live, uh, like a worship night in the basement? And I, my studio is in my basement. And so we set everything up and did a live night of worship and it was probably over an hour. And then everybody was like, could you do this again tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And I did it again tomorrow mm-hmm. and then the next day and the next mm-hmm. day. And I did it for 88 nights in a row because I felt like I'm able to do it and I'm equipped to do it mm-hmm. and it's beneficial. And it's the, it was the one constant in all of the changing stuff. And in the middle of that, the George Floyd thing happened mm-hmm. and I saw the video, you know, of initially, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more videos and body cams out there now, but when I saw the video, I was just like, and the sad thing is it doesn't surprise you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's maybe there's other African-Americans out there listening that have the same, have the same response. It didn't surprise me. Is it tragic? Yeah, it's tragic. Is it sorrowful? Yeah, it is. Is it unnecessary? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that night I just couldn't get the image out of my head. And I just, after the live stream, I just turned on the camera mm-hmm. and I just told my story because so many of us tell someone else's story, Yeah. but we don't, hear the story or know, know the story of someone that we actually have personal connection with. So I'm going to, I just decided I'm going to tell you what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. And I went on to share about, you know, my father being a two-star general mm-hmm. in the military, in the army and a military policeman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I so have, there's one perspective. Yeah. I very, uh, very much appreciate our, our police officers I very I have the utmost respect for anyone that serves. If mm-hmm. if you know me, um, you know if uh, if I'm eating lunch at a fast food place or a restaurant, if somebody in the military walks in, I just call the server over and pay for their meal. And I was with Robbie one day, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Hey, you know that thing? You still pay for those meals for service members?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "What's your what's your quota on that? And I said, why? <laughs> he, he said, look at the door. And there's like 13 oh. soldiers walked in. I was like, yeah, I can't do that. Robbie. <laughs> Not today. But yeah, so I have the utmost respect for police officers. Jim Grindle is police officer at, um, in Sharonville. Mm-hmm. And you know, we got to know each other cause he would guard the church that I led worship mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that goes without question. And they put their life on the line. My friend Hector is a police officer in Youngstown, Ohio. That's mm-hmm. not a great place to mm-hmm. be a police officer. Mm-hmm. But sharing about what I experienced, I used to be the worship pastor at um, a small church, God of Prophecy, in East Liverpool, Ohio. And I would have to, if you know that part of the map, it's Pittsburgh, West Virginia, and I don't know where else, Ohio, mm-hmm. um, connected this little strip of land that crosses this bridge to the left is Chester, West Virginia, Across the street is, or across the bridge is, turn right, you head towards East Liverpool, turn left, you head towards Steubenville, and you're coming from Pittsburgh, at, you know, at, the, at that point. So it's kind of West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And I got, uh, I was moving, I was relocating to Pittsburgh from Steubenville. Mm-hmm. I borrowed a truck, and I returned the truck, and at two in the morning, I was at a stoplight, and a police officer was at the other stoplight about a mile down the road. When we passed in the middle of the street, he spun around, hit his lights. 
pulled me over. And when he pulled me over to honor my buddy, Dave Chunchal, I will tell the part of the story that he was upset that I left out. He said, uh, you laughed at him. And I said, I was taking him. I was taken back. Cause when he approached the car mm-hmm. and said, do you know why I pulled you over? I, and I looked at him, he looked like Kenny G from like <laughs> early Kenny G. Like he had a perm and he had his, his police shirt, like two buttons down and a big gold chain. And I went, I have no idea because I grew up like seeing military police. Right. Like you had to have a haircut and it had to be cut a certain length, you know? And so I and was buttoned. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you up. did have to button your shirt, but I was just like, Whoa. And then he made up all these reasons why he pulled me over. And then mm-hmm. I ended up being taken into the jail, you know, under, under the, um, courthouse or wherever it was and I wasn't in a cell but they were pointing them out to me like you can spend the night here in one of those spots or you can sign the ticket and I called my dad I said can I make a phone call and I didn't tell them who I was calling I just said good good evening ma'am I said um can I speak with Major General Charles A. Hines and the police in the room were like I don't know who you just pulled over but let's tread carefully here <laughs> right. and I, my dad got on the phone I said Yes, sir. I'm sorry to call so late, but I'm in a police station in Chester, West Virginia. And you could, my dad's tone and his voice immediately changed. It was, are you okay? Did you do anything wrong? I said, no, I just got pulled over. I was, I'm like less than a mile from the Pittsburgh or from the Pennsylvania line. If they had just let me go, I would have been gone in like 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. And, and he said, you can sign a ticket with an X. It's not an admission of guilt. But when you leave, you need to search your vehicle because there could be something in your car that wasn't in your car mm-hmm. previous. Now, this is a military policeman, mm-hmm. two-star general, mm-hmm. commander of Italian troops, German troops, um, American troops for all of Seventh Corps in Europe, in Germany. Like we, He was in charge of all the military police in the Seventh Corps. And by the time he retired... He was the commander at Fort McClellan uh, Military Base, which was the MP and chemical training school for the, for the Army. He was the Army's top cop because there are no three-star MPs. That's the highest rank you get at the highest office. Mm. And uh, so he, he knew what he was talking about, <laughs> but he still wanted to keep me safe and wanted yeah. to protect me. And I went outside after I put an X on the ticket, and my car was just totally torn apart. My seat covers were off. My trunk, my trunk was open. My center, center console was open. My glove box was open. I had done nothing wrong. I was just exhausted. Wow. I was parked at a red light. Wow. And he saw me and thought, you're not supposed to be in my town. So I went back for, for the judge for the ticket, and the police officer didn't show up. And I said, well, can you let me off this ticket if he's not going to defend his actions? Mm-hmm. And he says, my boys deserve a break. Everybody needs a vacation. You're going to have to come back. So I came back like three weeks later, drove back in from Pittsburgh, took another day off of work, and he didn't show again. Mm. And the judge said, we're going to take a break, take a recess. And he says, come outside with me. He walks outside and he pulls out the ticket and he tears it up in my face. And he goes, I guess I'm going to have to let you go. But I can't tell you what my boys will do to you if they find you in my town again. So Mm. for the rest of the time, my pastor lived in Newell, which was the town next to Chester, West Virginia. I had to cross the river from Pittsburgh or from Pennsylvania into Ohio, drive on the other side of the river to come back into Newell so that I could pass. And I have never driven through there since. Wow. And when was this? What, like roughly what year? This is probably early nineties. 
Okay. The hilarious thing, though, is my senior pastor, mm-hmm. you know, at the church that I'm on staff yeah. at, and I uh-huh. said, where are you from? I'm from Chester, West Virginia. I was like, no <laughs> way. God has such a great sense, great sense of humor. Sense of humor. And, uh, you know, Scott and I shared, we shared the story and it was hard for him to hear because he still has family there. He probably knew Mm -hmm. Kenny G, the police officer, you know, yeah. yeah, So I just started to share that because I wanted my friends to know that, you know, when people post, you know, you know, you don't get uh, the cops don't bother you if you don't do anything wrong. If you don't Mm -hmm. resist, if you don't No, I wish I could say Mm -hmm. that was the case. I didn't do anything. And my buddy Dave, he's like, you know, you laughed at him. I said, you still have to get past why I was pulled over. Mm-hmm. If you can't say why I was pulled over for for just sitting at a red light and then passing a police officer, mm-hmm. then you're not ready to listen. Yeah. We talked a little bit earlier that I think one of the areas, and this has just been from my viewpoint that I have observed, is that a lot of times experiences, actual experiences aren't validated. Right. So where have you come from those, that experience in the 90s to here, 2020, and you've married? Yeah, I married uh, my wife, Tracy. We will be... 20, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think Uh-oh. it's 24 years. <laughs> my, 1996. My need to edit. <laughs> so it's just math. It's not that I messed up my, but we were married October 12th, 96. And uh, she's uh, an Irish German redhead. And, and she's beautiful. She is. And my kids are drop dead gorgeous. Gorgeous. So, yeah. And gorgeous. I think God gives um, interracial marriages beautiful children because of the crap we go through. <laughs> So what has that been like? And what have your girls experienced? What has your wife experienced? Yeah. Well, on our honeymoon, um, we went to a restaurant and uh, no one made eye contact with her. It was only the server only made eye contact with me. The server was Mm African-American. But then we've been to places where the server won't make eye contact with me. Mm. And people, honestly, people think, you know, um, I have two, two friends of mine, Damar and Jenna, that just got married. And and Damar is dark is darker than I am, and mm-hmm. Jenna is gorgeous. And so many people, you know, I wonder the coaching and the and the the conversations that went on around them because mm-hmm. the conversations I had were probably very different. But I realized very early on that I did not know how to talk to my wife. Mm. And I I told your husband this at lunch the other day. <laughs> I said, my wife looked at me one day. She goes, my best friend is Clarence Church. He's a worship pastor mm-hmm. down in uh, Pima, New Mexico. And she looked at me and she's like, I'm not Clarence. I can't finish your sentences. I don't understand your jokes. You're going to have to talk to me. <laughs> and I was like, I really stink at being a husband because there was so much beyond um, race. Race mm-hmm. was just... That's who I fell in love with. That's mm-hmm. who she fell in love with. Mm-hmm. But after that, race was just something. It actually kind of, I think it kind of sometimes surprises us. Like when, oh, wow, we're back there. <laughs> you know, like we have mm-hmm. real problems. Like yeah. I don't know how to speak to my wife. I don't I don't know how to buy her a gift for Christmas or her birthday, you know, much less. Oh, yeah, I'm black. And she's white, by the way, in case you didn't know I was black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some people can't tell with my voice. Okay. Know. That's interesting that you just said that yeah. because in your YouTube conversation, 
you mentioned that you have felt the majority of your life that you have been too white for your black friends and too black for your white friends. So elaborate on that a little bit. Well, when you ask, um, when you ask a, a girl to the senior prom Mm -hmm. and she turns you down because you can't pick her up at her house because her dad doesn't let black people in the house. Mm. That's one thing, you Mm -hmm. know? So I went to, I didn't, I don't think I even went to my senior prom. I went to my junior prom and, and my girlfriend at the time and her family were great. But I think that's, that's the, that's just the camaraderie of a military thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I always felt like, um, I didn't, I don't do well with group think. So Mm -hmm. I always try to see, well, what's the underlying question or whether, what are you really saying or what are you really asking me to believe? And so I've always felt like I thought different than, than a lot of African Americans. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, my mom made a decision early on. We will put the kids in the best schools possible, which were always in predominantly white neighborhoods. So Mm -hmm. We would move to Virginia and we'd live in this dinky little house because it was in Fairfax County, Virginia. And we were the, you know, me and my sisters were the only black students at the school. Mm. And so there were times where, you know, I would order something and I'd arrive to pick it up and I'm like, Hey, I'm here to see Jim. Like, can I get your name? Charlie. Charlie, Charlie Hines. I'm like, yeah, man, I lost 20 bucks. I said, on what? He said, "There's we just bet 20 bucks that there's no way you were black. From the phone conversation. Now, the owner of the store wow. was a really good friend of mine, and he set the bet up. And I'm like, you just you just <laughs> made 20 bucks off me, man. you knew. So it's kind of funny now that the voiceovers, like that mm-hmm. voice that was made fun of, it wasn't black enough, and yeah. it wasn't, and my skin certainly wasn't white enough. To be, you know, doing voiceovers for companies is kind of comical. Like, I get a kick out of it. Oh, that voice that no one could really figure right. out on the radio or over the phone. But, yeah, that's, I mean, growing up in predominantly white neighborhoods, playing electric guitar, mm-hmm. you know, there there weren't, even the stuff I listened to musically, I I mean, I grew up on everything. Herb Albert, the, the soundtrack to Porgy and Bass. My mom would play Lou Rawls, you know. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I woke up to, you'll never find, you know, and you're like, ah, and then watching my mom and dad dance on Christmas morning when we get like a new um, Stevie Wonder or Earth, Wind and Fire or, you know, I think it's Natalie Cole, this will be, I'm like, ah, I love that song. But that was always, you know, that was always what I listened to growing up. But then as an electric guitar player, I'm like, well, there's no guitar solos in this. So it was Jimi Hendrix yeah, and then Eric Clapton. And then it was ACDC and the first day you're speaking Andy's language. right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Rush (laughs) triumph. Um, uh, just black Blackfoot. I think was another one, but I could play the entire guitar solo to Leonard Skinner free bird. But it was the day, you know, and I loved cars. I think I talked about that in Mm -hmm. one of my blog posts. And uh, the day I told my mom I wanted to get that flag on the top of the, top of the Dukes of Hazard car, oh my <laughs> gosh! <laughs> my sister started crying. What? <laughs> my mom started crying. I was like, uh, "Somebody want to fill me in here?" <laughs> right. So, Buy some context. The education began. <laughs> so this is a big question. Sure. What do you think we as America need to hear right now? 
okay, um, I think you need to hear. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures is in James. It says, slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big part of where we are now. Um, I also think, and I think uh, the book that I just, I just finished editing an audio book, Left mm-hmm. Turns by Kristen mm-hmm. Dooley. Who I interviewed. She's yes, been on the podcast. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, she said something in the book that really st- struck me. She says the journey in the desert for the Israelites leaving was 40 years in the desert. Mm-hmm. They wandered around in yeah. the wilderness. It was supposed to take 11 days. I think she said mm-hmm. 11 days. And I think we've done the same thing as a country. We should have licked racism in the butt. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we just should have had this down by now. Yeah. We're wandering in the desert for 40 years and we made a golden calf and the front of it is an elephant or a donkey. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think we've, we've made a religion out of politics. Mm. And so now we have to come down on a side in order to appreciate um, the conversation. We can't even listen to each other until we know what, what you believe. Mm. And if we can't agree to disagree and then have a conversation, or if we can't, um, we, we can't even become, we can't be in relationship with each other because we don't completely agree. Then there's, there's no hope. We're going to pause the conversation right there. And as you have listened to me talk with Charlie, I hope you have heard the very heart of God through his circumstances and his hope for the future. Acts 10, 34 through 36 says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for all people, that there is peace in God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The good news that there is peace through Jesus for all. Join us next week as we finish up the second half of my conversation with my friend Charlie. Until then, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly.